it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. And welcome to Stramash, the Scottish NFL podcast. We have our conference champions. They have been crowned. We'll be picking apart all the pieces from an eventful couple of games. Uh, we will not be looking ahead to the Super Bowl. We'll, we'll be saving that content for no, after the Super Bowl. After the Super Bowl, we'll look forward to the Super Bowl. It will be <laughs> it will be the most accurate preview you'll ever find, and it'll be out on the Tuesday after the game itself. <laughs> It will be. So to do it, you've heard them already. Ian Stephen, Gordon McGinnis, also Jamie Borthwick here. Uh, as we look at the two games back, we discuss, uh, discuss some of the talking points. Mr. Mitchell was due to attend, however, he has withdrawn last minute. Um, I, I believe he's currently trying to time the flights from Japan to Las Vegas to say, try and help on the Swift, getting Swifty to the game, right? That's... I, I was going to say, on. he's actually, he is, um, he's boycotting all NFL content while Taylor Swift is involved because uh, some of the people he follow on Twitter, follows on Twitter, told him to. Um, he has dropped in his talking points for the games. We'll get to those. But we'll do them in order. So, and and listen, I'm, I'm partially surprised that Mr. Charles Parson isn't here. I think he got fifty percent of what he wanted out of the weekend. Had he got a hundred percent, he would have been here with his big pious smug face. But he he didn't, so he'll save it for another couple of weeks. I think you um, find if, if if Charles got fifty percent of what he wanted this weekend, he would have opened up a second diamond mine in Tanzania, but that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> ah, a reference that we'll keep in but will mean nothing to many because we edited the previous <laughs> bit out um, so let's start first of all Mr McGinnis the floor is yours uh, obviously Baltimore Ravens uh, the Chiefs you'd said throughout this that the Chiefs were being written off by too many they were obviously a, a big concern for you coming into this and, and postseason Mahomes um, is, is quite something else yeah, I mean, the first two drives of the game, the first touchdown in particular, really good coverage, and he just, like, throws it, I think, sidearm to the only place they can catch it. And the first the first two Chiefs drives, it was kind of like, oh, okay, doesn't matter how good the Ravens' defense has been all year, uh, you know, Mahomes is still going to score a bunch of points. And then the Ravens' defense really tightened up. Um, and ultimately, based on how the defense played, is going to be one of those losses that lingers for a while as a, a massive missed opportunity. Because if you told me going into the game, the Ravens were going to hold Mahomes to 17 points, I would have cashed out my bet on the Chiefs and placed it all on the Ravens to win. Because I wouldn't have seen a way that they were going to lose that game. Um, the big criticism I've seen from the Ravens was he didn't run the ball enough. And with the benefit of hindsight, that's 100% correct. You know, you look at the game and they had, I think, six handoffs to running backs. Lamar himself didn't have that. I think he only had one designed run in the second half, um, if at all. And with benefit of hindsight, you can say, yeah, if they just run the ball a bit more, they probably win the game. I think the thing I'll say in defence of their game plan is that heading into the game, they probably expected Mahomes and the Chiefs to score 30. Certainly as they hit the end of the first half, they probably expected the Chiefs to score in the second half, as much faith as they have in their defence. So I've seen people say that, how do you not run the ball when you're only down at the start of the second half by 10 points? 
realistically, if you're trying to think logically about it, you need to think about being down 24 points because you probably need 24 points in that second half. Benefit of hindsight, you didn't. You only needed you know, 10 to tie the game or 14 to win it. But I think that's ultimately where where it went wrong. We, we've spoken a lot about the fine margins of of these games. Uh, and in knockout football, all it takes is, is one thing going your way or go, or not going your way to make the difference. We also talk about nerves and pressure of a uh, situation. There's two talking points there. Is, let's go first of all to the confidence one. Jamie, like... Andy Reid is a highly experienced head coach that you've had, you had in your division for a long time. Um, has obviously thrived in Kansas City. Has been at the what is it four out of the last five Super Bowls, uh, and just continues to bring success there. Clearly, Mahomes is a massive part of that. But Andy Reid just knows how to play these games. It was evident from very early on that it was one of those big games need big characters, big boys who are going to stand up and play their absolute best. And I think you saw it on both defences. It was always going to come down to how it was being called from the sidelines, but how it was being executed by the quarterback in particular. Um, Mahomes never at any point looked like he had any doubt, even when he was coming up against an excellent rush, some really, really good um, coverage. Jackson leaves with question marks. I think we've got to say that about standing up on the on the big stage. We know it's the question that Charles would ask if he if he were here. He's saying, "Is is Lamar Jackson a choker?" I think that's the words that he used. And how do you answer that now? So I don't think he's a choker. I think because I think you can also point to big plays he made in the game. I think it was just one of those games whereby small mistakes rather than like overthinking things so fine margins in that the fumble in the pocket he is a half beat too late getting the ball out and if he gets the ball out it might have been a touchdown for the ravens because rashad bateman's open i think that's also partly on the scheme though a big criticism that kurt warner had in the Ravens scheme all year was they've only got one wide receiver in zay flowers who wins quick and everything else is slow and developing I think the scheme has to be Lamar Jackson drops back to pass. Cameron, we talked about this during the Texans game. Drop back to pass. Is it open? Good. Hit it. Is it open? No. Run. Like you're the most physically gifted quarterback in terms of athleticism in the NFL. Just run more if you need to. And then the other two big plays, the interception, really bad throw, really similar to what the Chiefs baited Josh Allen into, and it it was an incompletion rather than an interception. Um, but just they bait you in to trying to find big plays when they're not there because you're frustrated with not being able to get stuff. And then the Zay Flowers fumble at the one yard line. It's the second year in a row that a fumble at the opposing one yard line like does the Ravens in. I don't think he's wrong for diving for the end zone as well. Like he should have scored if not for a tremendous play by Legarius Sneed. So even like all the frustrations I have with mistakes that were made, all the frustrations I have with the game plan they were still really close. It's like a couple of plays either way. Um, And sometimes that's just how it goes in the game. Like the way the ball bounces sometimes just does you in. Um, Do you think the lack of experience uh, for Todd Munkin as the new offensive coordinator in the postseason came into play? Was was that a nervous game that he called? Uh, Maybe. I, I think overall, though, like the big game experience, I... 
I didn't voice this and I kind of wish I had voiced it, but I thought I would just get loads of people telling me I was an idiot beforehand. The whole approach from the Ravens was the Ravens are hosting their first ever AFC Championship game. It's the first AFC Championship game in Baltimore in 53 years, I think it was. They brought back Ray Lewis. They brought back Ed Reed. They brought back Jonathan Ogden. They brought back Terrell Suggs. And it was this whole big, big atmosphere. For the Ravens, it was the biggest game that's ever been played in Baltimore. For the Kansas City Chiefs, it was another AFC Championship. And that, I think, that alone was probably worth four or five points in that game. Just the Chiefs, it was like, we've done this before. Like, we know this is how it goes. You show up, take care of business. You know, the result will be what the result is. But the Ravens built it into the Super Bowl in Baltimore, effectively. And uh, I definitely think it led to them being a little bit tight. Um, do you think it's a case of them they outhyped themselves? A little bit. I yeah. think they put. I think they. I think they made it. Made it a far bigger um, event than it was. The one thing I'll say though is I, this is not to say whether or not they will bounce back from this and win a Super Bowl because it, just in the AFC it's going to be incredibly difficult to do. The sometimes I think teams need the type of loss the Ravens had um, this past week. Sometimes I think you need a loss that fucking sits and lingers. And this one is. Like, I I tossed and turned for two hours on Sunday night after the game. Just annoyed. Just annoyed about five, six different things that just annoyed me. And even now talking about it, like, I can feel it in the pit of my stomach. This is going to annoy me most of the summer until the games start again. It might annoy me for another three years. But it's the type of thing that when they, if they, rather than when they, sorry, get back into this spot again, you remember those things and you know, you know, you're set up for those. The, the last time they were in the AFC Championship game and loss was 2011, they came back and won the Super Bowl the next year. So, you know, not saying that's what they're going to do, but sometimes, sometimes long term, it kind of helps you be a bit more um, clinical in those situations. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. And I think this is it. It comes down to experience. Like John Harbaugh's had a, ton of it and he knows how to do it but some of the other pieces there haven't been there before and it's hard to get over that hump um if we stick to the nfc background as well steve spagnolo had obviously a huge games get loaded plaudits for his defense another one out of the nfc east was linebacker coach of the eagles i think before he ended up at the giants he was interim head coach 2017 um did bits and pieces there obviously vastly experienced at different levels uh, that defensive performance was great, and it nullified a lot of what the Ravens had to offer. Yep. Yeah, Spags, really Spags is a genius. Yeah, he's a genius. He, he, he was a defensive coordinator for the Giants winning the Super Bowl. Well, certainly twenty eleven. I think he might have been both. Um, he's he's yeah he's 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 unbelievable. He called an incredible game. Also, like it doesn't. It's not getting talked about enough because. Mike McDonald was even better on the other side when you consider it was against Patrick Mahomes. So everyone focuses on McDonald, and he's... I, I hate to break it to you, Cameron, but you're about to hate your life twice a year for the next five years because he's going to wind up in Seattle probably by the time this is out, and you're going to hate it because he's an absolute genius. Um, but Spags was tremendous as well, and also he's done more with less. They're, they are not... Uh, Uber talented defense. They've got a couple of big players in Jones and Sneed, but just schematically, some of the stuff he did in the game as well was really nice. Um, Ian, from your point of view, as a neutral and entertaining game, this one. No. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I found really interesting when I was 
watching the game actually is um, the comparisons I think you can make between Mahomes and Montana because Mahomes had just enough movement in his legs in the pocket like Montana. He was able to kind of move around, find that little soft spot, make sure a play was extended, a kind of a, a bead of a second, and that was enough to find the right guy. There's also a lot of West Coast concepts that the Kansas City Chiefs were running, which is like obviously because the tree that Andy Reid came out of via Holmgren and via uh, San Francisco with Bill Walsh. But it even came to the point they were running out of process, which nobody does anymore, but they were actually running plays out of process, which I thought was a nice kind of little throwback. I also thought um, Checo was a really intelligent running back in the sense of a lot of times the running back will get the ball and he'll run towards colour. So he'll run towards white or red if he's playing that 49ers Chiefs and he's going to try and run away from the, the red because that's a 49ers defenders. And a lot of the times running backs will see green somewhere and they'll run towards the green, which is not necessarily the right call because they don't know if there's a linebacker scraping down to take them out. But a lot of players, when they see just colour of any sort, they won't run towards it. But Pacheco did. He'd, he'd white bodies in front of him and he ran to them and they actually opened up enough of a gap that quite a lot of his big runs came from that. And it was really intelligent football. You don't see it very much. You now see running backs are desperate to extend the play and they run sideline to sideline and end up losing four or five yards or, or whatever. But I thought that he had a, a really good game and he was key for what they were trying to do. They didn't have to play from behind the chains. Um, he's a, too, he's a too proper, often. Throw, proper throwback runner. It's from where he came, like the, the fact he was so unheralded as well coming into the NFL, he's, he's done really well for himself. And I think one of the other t- takes that I took out of that game is I think um, Jadavian Clowney is maybe the dirtiest player in modern NFL history. Well, so we need to talk about discipline. Um, do you feel like there was a lack of discipline? That was what Charles put in our Patreon chat. The, the, the Ravens' lack of discipline had been the difference between the teams. Uh, a little bit, but like not entirely. Like the so the Roquan was it Roquan Smith that got hit? No, it wasn't. Whoever got hit, Van Noy. Van Noy got hit with the personal foul. Yeah, that just happens. Like Kelsey, Kelsey at some point in that game should have got flagged, but he was smart and he was being an antagonist. And you love it when that's against you. The Roquan Smith personal foul at the end was just to reset it so it was first and ten. And the official was really smart to call it personal foul instead of encroachment because it was like a proper big hit, but he's just trying to basically just reset that. The, the Safe Flowers Taunton one, like, I'm not even mad, because I like Taunton. It's good. Taunton inherently is good and fun. Like, yeah, but you, he, could, you could only taunt when you don't fumble at the goal line. Well, in fairness... He hadn't at that point. He hadn't at that point. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that, that's, where, that's where the concept of karma comes in. <laughs> That I did see someone tweet, and it was like, because everyone, everyone after the fact was like, just let them taunt. Like Joe Burrow was like, let the guys taunt. And then someone, someone tweeted out the video and was like, I can't believe some of you guys are saying this isn't taunting. He was like a second away from dropping the people's elbow on him because they felt <laughs> like he shoved them into the ground, dropped the ball down, spun on it, like. Yeah, I just I, that one I don't really care about to be honest. Um, but what about the attempted decapitation of Mahomes though? I, I honestly didn't think that was that bad. I think that's a penalty, but I don't think it's that. Oh, oh do you mean Travis Jones, the one where he gets his hand across? Yeah. yeah. 
and knocks him out. It was it was bad. It's not it's not a personal foul. It was the the referees caught it. That's fair enough. But the referee should have immediately taken Mahomes out for a play so he could get checked <laughs> because yeah. like no no mortal being would have survived a whack like that. Um, the one thing that and I can't remember the player. There was a Chiefs player was playing that left the game last week with a concussion. I thought, and again, I'm oh, maybe uh, Mike Mike Edwards, the yeah. defensive back. Yeah. How was it such? Was it was it deemed that he didn't have a concussion? I think so. Right. So it was a, a a safety precaution last week, and actually, it wasn't needed. Fine, because I uh, when the conversation came up, I was like, "That's completely passed me by." And then reading it, I couldn't find anything uh, about it on the day. I looked on the night. I've forgotten his name since because it's now Tuesday. Um, but yeah, it just felt a funny one. I was like, hmm, "Have they kind of let that slip and let them play?" But if it was the case that it wasn't a concussion, then fair enough. Um, so I guess. Like we'll obviously talk about the Chiefs' war. Did the baiting before the whole thing kicked off get under the skin of the Ravens? No. Do you think it, they've been noised up here? No, it, they were noised up during the game, but I think they were like, it wasn't. It wasn't even egregious to the point that I think it had a huge impact in the game. Um, like the Chiefs were a little bit smarter than they were, and they wound them up a little bit. the The Justin Tucker thing pre-game, I don't think remotely had any impact at all. Like that whole thing was just stupid. There was a bit, yeah. There was a bit of like fisticuffs, though, right beforehand. Like a little bit. There was like yeah. people kind of getting each other's face, but it wasn't like there's been far bigger pregame scuffles than that before. <laughs> um, for the Ravens, then what is? And we'll we'll talk about the postseason, but what's what's next? Uh, I mean, it's going to be a transition year. So McDonald's probably gone. They've just lost their assistant GM, who's gone to be the GM for the Chargers with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, they're going to lose. They've got a lot of key free agents. Patrick Queen has like finally blossomed after struggling his first three years in the league. They won't re-sign him. They, that's, think not, that's not a term you want for your ferocious middle linebacker. Oh, he's blossomed. <laughs> he's a lovely pansy. <laughs> fine. fine. Uh, what he is... Uh, the Queen has blossomed is definitely yeah, not yeah, it's, 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 it's surname's Queen. He doesn't have a ferocious name. Anyway, uh, Justin Madubiki is a free agent. I think they'll probably try and push to re-sign him, but it'll be a transition year, and I, I think they'll be in like a dogfight to make the playoffs next year just because the Bengals will be better, um, other teams in the AFC are going to be better around them and stuff like that. But that's, that's what life in the AFC is going to be like. Like, it is a good conference that has more than seven good teams. There's going to be one shit team that make the playoffs every single year. It'll probably usually be the Steelers. Um, so, it, you know, it's going to be hard to make the playoffs um, every single year. And it's just for for the rest of you on this podcast who don't have to live in the AFC, I just want to express how horrendously unfair it is that Mahomes and Brady and the AFC crossed over by like a season or two seasons. <laughs> like it's not you guys at least get the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl once every few years. You know, you get set up for success. Apologies, Jamie. I know it's been a wee bit longer for you guys, but <laughs> I like it genuinely feels so like the whole debate about who the second best quarterback in the AFC is, it feels like it's Mahomes versus Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson. CJ Stroud probably jumping at that. Josh Allen. 
Josh Allen. I can't believe I almost forgot Josh Allen. Imagine. imagine. <laughs> it would be it would be funny if you had just never for the content. Have, <laughs> never would have heard the end of that. Um, but you, you're almost Aaron like, Rodgers. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. You're you're playing for the right to be the to be the one that goes up against Mahomes in the AFC Championship game, and I just think that's really fucking unfair. <laughs> I th- I just think you should just stop watching the NFL, God. I mean, it's it's clearly getting to you. Just. <laughs> I mean, my sports misery. Yeah, they are significantly better. So, I mean, there, was, there was a there was a period in the eighties and the nineties where it went like twenty years without the AFC winning a Super Bowl. So, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, I, I was not uh, old enough. I'm not old enough for that. You're not old enough. More than made up for it since they've more than made up for it since. It's ridiculous. It's so one-sided. Um, fine. Okay. Anything else that we want to add on this game? I. Uh, Let's talk about the Taylor Swift content because it's definitely been a factor uh, in the sense that wasn't it great that actually the coverage wasn't that much about it? And wasn't it great that when they did cut to her, she could clearly be seen mouthing, Gory, just leave me alone. Um, She's not interested. She's not asking for any of this. This is just content in the stadium. And it's hilarious how angry people are. Any sort of publicity, take down all our YouTube videos, demonetize all of that, remove all our merchandise that's got our face on it, mute all our songs so you can't hear her. I'm sorry, you stand in a public place where there's cameras, you're going to get filmed, and you just get paid because a, heck of a lot of money just to be a person that exists. Just because you subscribe to my OnlyFans doesn't mean you can take photos of my naked arse on the beach, Ian. We've discussed this. That's my private time. That's not for sharing. So. It's different things. You can go to the beach and still, I don't know what my analogy was, but I'm going with it anyway. Um, you, Jamie looks like he's about to throw up. I, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure if he's frozen I, there. I, I how, just, did, how, how did we get here? <laughs> to take us back on topic, uh, I just hate, like, not even the amount, but, like, the way it's been talked about. Like, I don't particularly have any interest in seeing Taylor Swift at games. I'm obviously, as everyone on this podcast knows, I'm pretty certain I'm the biggest Swifty on the podcast. I don't really care if she's at NFL games or not. But, like, the reaction by some people is weird. It ranges from weird to misogynistic, whereby they've got yes. to... It's it's ruining their ability to watch the game and all that stuff. Like, but, shut but- up. The problem's not her being at the game. The problem is the NFL wetting their pants because they think they can draw extra eyes and extra sponsors. But they to the can. NFL by they can. They, they can, can. and they are. So that's, and they that's should. They doing. should. I want them to. Like, the, how many how many plays have I missed in the NFL because they've shown Taylor Swift in the stands? None. None. The NFL, for all the flaws in the NFL, their production crews are very, very good across CBS, Fox, and whoever else. I'm sure the radio broadcast teams are phenomenal as well, Paul. Um, so like the, we don't miss plays, and if we see her, in this the is fight, why he listens. This care. is why he listens. This is why he listens. So he doesn't have to get any Taylor Swift content. We finally uh, nailed it. it. It shouldn't. It shouldn't affect anyone's enjoyment of the game. I got to sit down and watch the the first quarter with my nine year old son, and I very rarely get to do that because the games are on so late. He plays Madden. He knows all about Mahomes. He was really excited to see Mahomes throw, but he was also very excited to see Taylor Swift at the game as well. And 
the two were not mutually exclusive. He was into the football. He was into seeing Taylor Swift celebrating so, so, the end. So Taylor Swift makes music for nine-year-olds. Well, I yeah. think that's a fair statement. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, music could be enjoyed by everybody of all ages. Um, yeah, of it's... course, it's usually when you're nine, it's wheels in the bus. <laughs> wheels on the bus at nine? I was listening to Queen when I was nine. So Patrick I was, I was, <laughs> I I was I was nine ten when I was listening to Queen because I'm Freddie Mercury died in ninety one right. Was that before you blossomed? It was before I blossomed, but were definitely these, Queen's... Were, these, were these two incidents correlated? <laughs> Queen, no, Queen's Greatest Hits two was my album when Freddie Mercury died. I was very sad. I was very young. Didn't really get it anyway. Different well, time. Well, um, Freddie, there's a there's a wee plucky kid in Edinburgh with Lewis Powell started <laughs> listening to your music. Oh well, that's it for me. I'm giving up in life. Um, fine. We will have two weeks of Taylor Swift content to look forward to, uh, and we can enjoy every moment of it. Listen, Let's move it on. Might, it, it might well be the most watched Super Bowl ever, and it's not because of the two teams that are in it. Um, yes, that will. I think the two teams will contribute. Um, but it will be tipped over the edge. Imagine you're you're Usher and it's your big moment performing the halftime show and the camera keeps cutting to the stands to go, Taylor Swift, is she enjoying it or not? (laughs) Poor guy. Um, Right, on to the second game then and a game of two halves, the proverbial. Uh, The Detroit Lions came out absolutely flying and schooled the 49ers for the first two quarters. And then the 49ers came out at halftime, having listened to Don't Stop Believing by Journey in the stadium and clearly bought into that and came out in a completely different game and ultimately uh, a thrilling end to it. I'll be honest, I wasn't intending to sit and watch it, but because I'd been called enough of a shite bag as it was, I did. I got to halftime. My bets paid out on the Lions because of a 17-point lead clause that they had obtained and I thought, you know what, sod it if, I, if we're losing, I might as well watch it in all its glory and what, what a second half it was, tremendous but let's start the, the start of this because the Lions were tremendous first half, like the uh, the scheme for how to beat the 49ers is right there uh, and it's for the Chiefs and we talked about Pacheco and how impressive he was, the run game that the Lions had on the Niners was superb. The The defense was just not making any plays at all. Absolutely nothing. It's The defense has taken a bit of a step back under Steve Wilkes, I think, this year. And I think it showed it not aggressive, not really getting to the quarterback like they were before. And yeah, but credit has to go to Dan Campbell. They were aggressive. They went for it. And <laughs> it doesn't. First half I'm talking about. First half. Mm, no credit to him whatsoever. <laughs> he completely I, and utterly stuffed up his team's chance of getting to the first Super Bowl in 50-odd years because he acted greedily when he had points ready to be taken, but those points weren't enough. He had to go for it in fourth down. So this brings us on to Paul Mitchell's point that he wants to add as well. Um, so Paul Mitchell, like I say, unable to make it this evening, but he okay. did say, he did say, why is it the boats keep coming over, but we can't stop them coming in? 
Lions so oh. wrong not to kick field goals. Um, not having it is how they got their nonsense. Or you only say that because it failed argument either. Passing of virtually nailed on three score lead is negligence. Um, so yeah, that's his general point. I, Gordon, first right of reply. Uh, well, one at a hundred percent is absolute. Just responding in the benefit of hindsight. It's all this entire discussion ever is. No, no, I was shouting at the. I was shouting at the time. Gordon, I truly was take the free when I was always going for it. And no, I don't, but but what my point is though is like no one like Paul claims that on this podcast there are times when he has criticised the decision to go for it when it's been successful after the fact. So after the fact, he said they were wrong to go for that. I refuse to believe that's ever happened. And if he can prove that, I will publicly on the podcast admit that I was wrong. But like for all you can talk about the decision to go for it later in the game, like I had a far bigger problem with fourth and three on the 49ers three yard line at the end of the first half and you make it a 17 point game instead of trying for a 21 point game because that would have pushed it out even further. The The other part of this that's never discussed is anytime we talk about this, it is assumed that field goals are successful. In this very game, we saw Jake Moody miss a makeable field goal, 48-yard field goal, which is precise, precisely what one of the Lions field goals that they passed up was. The Lions kicker is not um, particularly certain of making you a field goal in that distance. So I just think the, the decision to go for it on fourth, the plays were there to be made. Like One of them was a Josh Reynolds drop. If you convert, you win the game. Yeah, um, I th- I, I, th- I think when it comes to the playoffs, um, the conventional kind of analytics, looking at fourth down, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it doesn't apply when you've got the pressure of the playoffs, um, especially once you ramp up into the championship game. If you've got the opportunity to take points, you take the points because championship games traditionally are settled by very small margins or not high-scoring games. A lot of defensive football that's in there, and whatever you're given, you take. But, but that's why, if you can get more than the three, then that has a bigger impact. Because you're not, because you don't score a touchdown with the going for it in fourth and two, but you do score three points, or you've got a better chance of scoring three points with the field goal. And you've got to understand who you're playing against as well. You're playing against a 49ers team that are an incredibly good defense. Um, but you've got to have faith in your own defence as well. You've got to believe that you can stop 49ers and the 49ers are not a team that plays catch-up. 49ers see that they're three points behind. The pressure is all on them. They change their offence and the, um, McCaffrey becomes a non-factor in the running game at that point because they have to pass. I I think as a the one where he should have kicked was the one after we kicked at the start of the third quarter. Because I think at that point, it's about the 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 risk of the downside being the momentum swing, which ultimately came. You go from 24-10 up to 27-10, making it a three-score game. And then you kind of just, the Niners have come out, scored a field goal, you've just done the exact same thing. So what you're doing there is kind of setting the tone that, fine, you've not come out the second half and it's changed. We're going to match you. By not doing it, you obviously can make it then 24-17. Quick turnover, 24-24, and the momentum's just gone. Now, again, that's all hindsight. I think Gordon's right. Hindsight, you could sit and say that. Um, at the time, I remember thinking, 
oh, they're not going to kick a field goal. I was, I was surprised by that one because it felt aggressive at the point where you didn't need to be as much compared to the other ones. Um, and I think that that was where... That's who he is, though, and I've got no problem with that. I don't have any issues, and I get this. It's very easy to lay the blame, but that's who he's been all year long, and that's if that's your ethos, that's your ethos, right? You've got to live and die by it, that's but you're what? going to live and die by it. Was, that, was he not one you're of the three musketeers? Ethos. <laughs> you know, you've changed it now. It wasn't ethos you said a minute ago. Ethos. <laughs> ethos. Pathos. <laughs> that's the, the, um, I just, I, it's so... It's so frustrating that this always winds up being what the discussion is on this. I know, I know. It's we talk like, about it all the time. Um, this is the most. Oh, you went for it, and you did. Like it only is a discussion point when you go for it and don't get it. It's barely ever discussed. And like the Paul's big point because he he relates it to baseball. Uh, is around the Tampa Bay Rays. They'd had this analytics approach about a pitcher, and it was like a certain pitch count, and then they took them out. And in the playoffs, they took out a good pitcher and it cost them the game. And this is where like the hindsight part comes in because you also don't know what's going to happen after that. So if Dan Campbell had kicked the three points and they are successful in three points, that's fine. But the 49ers don't then play the game the exact same way. So like you're, it still changes what actually fundamentally happens after that. And just the bigger plays with the Jameer Gibbs fumble... The Brandon out catch, which is one of the wildest oh. things, <laughs> <That's> ridiculous. <laughs> if you ever want an example of um, what what what's the what's the kind of key skill differences between a, a young player choosing to become either a wide receiver or a defensive back? What's the main difference? The difference is: does the ball smack you clear in the face, or are you able to catch it? <laughs> I I can't I, I can't like internally answer the question that's been bugging me since this, which is was this a game where the 49ers shot the bed for a half and then just sorted it out against a team that, while entertaining, are not actually amazing? Uh, or is this more like the Cameron version of a Niners team that he thinks is quite faulty who actually found it within themselves to rally and be a very, very good team who deserved to go to the Super Bowl? I, I think I, they were. I, I think they were just lucky. Like they got lucky on a fumble, and they got lucky on that weird play. <laughs> Thirty-four points and two plays luckies. I'll bet. Even for me, that's a stretch. I but, think what Jamie not, said but, there's kind of for me on point. The, what they did was they exposed our foibles and the areas that can be exposed, and absolutely ran through us at the points that they could run through it. The the defense for me is the biggest regression. Under Steve Wilkes it's really taken a step back. And I if we'd lost that game, he had to go for me. I he had to go because I think the defense has just not been the, as impactful as it has been. And I think that's the worry going into the Super Bowl. I think what they did was it's almost the opposite of what happened in Baltimore, where the offense got the defense out of jail for a terrible first half performance and the offense managed to find a way to sling it. Um, but it's this is a, a talented 49ers team that isn't playing very well, is what it is right now. What what I really liked from Dan Campbell was after the game, he talked about how he'd spoken to the team and just said, like, it's going to be so difficult to get back here. Like, it's easy to get, it's not easy, but it's easier to get from three wins to nine. It's harder to get from nine to 12. And it's even harder to get over that hump in the championship game. Um, 
and also, and I'm not saying this in a victory lap sense, like this is where I think you run into issues with Jared Goff. Ben Johnson, mm. who is staying, which is great for them. That means their offense should still be good next year. Like there's limitations with Jared Goff. It's a really good offensive scheme, but a quarterback that elevates that would make them more likely to be able to go one step further. I, I agree, but I th- the pro- the problem is that the way you get better than golf is by then entering the upper echelon of the top three quarterbacks in the league, which is near enough impossible to get. So they've got a quarterback in golf who's been 400% better than anything they've ever had in Detroit going all the way back to Bobby Lane. No, no, Stafford was better. Like, the the irony of the situation... If you take take Stafford out of it, I mean, how many playoff games did Stafford win? Oh, yeah, but if you put Stafford in this offense, I think the Lions would... They did, (laughs) and they traded him. No, I know. What I'm saying is, if if Stafford (laughs) had stayed in this offense, they actually might have been absolutely fine. They might have been a good enough team to go, to go to the Super Bowl. So I think it's a little bit harsh on Goff, though. I don't think he played badly. It, it, it's not, I'm not saying... a couple of horrible drops there by Reynolds that I'm would not, have made the difference. If I'm he catches saying, both of those, it's a different result. I'm not saying he played badly. I'm saying, it's similar to the 49ers discussion at times around yep. Birdie and um, Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, there is a little bit of a ceiling there. Yes, they are not. They're not a quarterback like Mahomes who can drive you down the field, uh, like drive you down the field in a way that you are going to bet on him to do so. That I and I get that, and I think this is the, the one other thing that we're getting out of this though is this party conversation is starting to get really boring Start. because of what we've got now. Start, start starting to. We were all we were all bored of it even before Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey started dating. But it's, as a fan, it's boring me now. It's what you've got is people that are still naysayers and will see nothing but naysaying. But people go from naysaying to this is this guy's the best thing since sliced bread. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. And it's just ridiculous noise on both sides. And it's we're gonna have two weeks of this crap. Brock, I'm Brock not Purdy, even interested in it. <laughs> Brock Purdy is a better version of Jimmy Garoppolo. Yep. End of conversation. Who's, I'm who's, trying to think who else he's like. They were comparing him to Joe Burrow. Kirk Cousins. I was like, no, he's not. He's not. He's no, not like nah, no. Um, he's Kirk Cousins. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is capable, and I've, uh, capable of some amazing throws, some really stupid stuff. Here's the difference between him and Jimmy G. I would say is Jimmy G. Didn't really have those flashy big plays all that often. Purdy can achieve it more often. Um, but he's got a, a lot of talent there. The person for me that stood out in the game, although he had nothing to do receiving-wise, was George Kittle. I thought some of the blocking that he put on was absolutely tremendous. And he is very much becoming my favourite 49er, um, which means he's probably going to get traded to Seattle at some point in the next two years. I'll be sick as a dog. But, you know, even the 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 comments that from halftime where he said, I can't wait till the end of this. We say they had us in the first half, but, you know, we came out and did what we needed to do. And I, and he went on and said it. I thought, great content, brilliant. Exactly what the NFL is all about and what they like to do. But I thought he had a tremendous game. Defense is an issue. Big issue. The secondary is horrible. That's... And, and Travis Kelsey will crack good, good. all over us. Good. It will means we're going to have a good Super Bowl. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I'll get to my saying on that later, but we'll save that for another day. Um, overall, though, both games entertaining, both games single score differences between the two is what you want. I think the the most watched conference games 
both of them ever. I think, and I think the playoffs are now the most watched playoffs. It felt like every week there was like a lot of stuff. Other like very different reasons why the games were compelling, but they were both really compel compelling. Anything else that you want to add on these games before we move on to some of the other stories? Uh, no, good games. Fine. It won't be good. these. It won't be these four teams next year. It won't. Fair. Fair. So, so the only thing I'll say, Super Bowl matchup wise, of like the final eight teams, this was the Super Bowl I was least looking forward to, just because we had it four years ago, and it's a yeah. little bit boring. It would have been more entertaining for me, obviously, to see the Ravens there, see the Lions there, someone like that, the Bills maybe, like. But it's just Mahomes, isn't it? Like this is, and and like he's not he's not here to defend himself, so we could say like. Charles Patterson's weird obsession with Kyle Shanahan's nonsense. Like he's. Yes, I, thought about, I thought you said Pat Mahomes is not here to defend himself. Pat Mahomes, Mahomes isn't here to defend himself. So here we go. Pat Mahomes isn't here to defend himself. He's got a shite voice. But we do have Brock Purdy. Come on in here, bro. It's like Kermit the Frog. It's impossible not to hear anymore. Yep. Yeah, it does sound like Kermit the Frog. So you were saying about Charles's hatred oh, of Shanahan. Shanahan's not that bad. Like he is not, he's not right now in the level of an Andy Reid. He's not, you know, close to Belichick stuff like that. But he's a good coach. He designs good offenses, and he gets the short end of the stick based on Tom Brady being Tom Brady in the Super Bowl a few years ago, and Mahomes being Mahomes in the Super Bowl a couple of years after that. And I mean, this is it, right? As fans, we we got out, like you said earlier, we got out of the Brady dominance and. We have just landed straight into the Mahomes one. And I think that although this is the AFC and it sucks more if you're an AFC fan, I think fans across the NFL, if you're not a Chiefs fan, you're going to see this team win a lot of Super Bowls. And you're going to... You're you're talking to the two guys here that know how to beat Brady in a Super Bowl. We don't see what all this this fuss is about him. (laughs) I hear hear he won some other ones other years, but I'm not so sure. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's it's from my point of view, it's boring. It's boring. Um, <laughs> but fine. Uh, other news then, some jobs being snapped up, and we will, during the off-season, get into some content. But the Steelers have hired ex-Falcons head coach Arthur Smith as their new offensive coordinator. Initial take on that. Gordon McGinnis. <laughs> it's so just good. Wanna, just want to bottle Gordon's face as you're <laughs> It's so good. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Do you mean for posterity or out of violence? <laughs> yeah. Like you like it's two o'clock in a nightclub in Edinburgh. <laughs> you looked at my butt. That's what I thought he meant at first before realizing it. But I said to Johnny in the uh, Patreons chat earlier, I actually don't think it's a bad hire. I think you could make the case that uh like you could be looking to someone that's a bit more progressive in terms of what the NFL is today, but he was good. In Steelers, he was <laughs> yeah, I know. progressive. <laughs> well, that's that's why. But you you know you'd maybe want them to do that. Yeah, he was, he was good in Tennessee, and I th- he's going to be a a significant step forward from Matt Canada, I think. But just the joy I got from seeing something that you can just banter back with when Johnny has <laughs> taken so much joy in the Ravens losing, and his whole like. Oh, the Steelers beat the Ravens twice this season, which literally had no impact on the Ravens season whatsoever because they were still the number one seed and still hosted the AFC Championship game. In fact, the win they got at the end of the season when the Ravens played their backups might have cost the Steelers their season because they lost TJ Watt and then lost a close game in the playoffs. But just getting that, the the banter of, uh, you know, 
Kenny Pickett slash Mason Rudolph get ready to learn your fifth string tight ends catch radius, buddy. <laughs> I I have to say I I have thoroughly enjoyed Johnny's banter all the oh, way through. I think that fun. he is he is stuck to his guns perfectly. I don't think anybody can question his integrity when it comes to slinging mud at the Ravens, and it's it's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful he is, to watch. He, he is the NFL equivalent. He's going to hate this. The NFL equivalent of an old firm fan. Like, literally, doesn't matter who you're against. <laughs> I hate, and I, I used to, I used to be like that when the Steelers were like perennial Super Bowl contenders. Just anyone who would beat them, I would celebrate every time they lost in the playoffs, every time they, uh, like lost in the Super Bowl, whatever. Now I just don't care because they're not, you know, they're they're not the threat that the Chiefs are. They're not the threat that the Bengals are. But I get, I get why he does it. And he's, I don't even think it's old firm. He's a he's a Hearts fan. It's like Hibs. The Ravens are his Hibs, and he's jumping yes. on that any opportunity. That's it's basically the same things done in Edinburgh. They're just arguing over who gets to finish fifth yeah. rather than who gets yeah. to finish first. So yeah, a small flaw in the comparison with Hibs and the yeah, Ravens. Yeah. I'll leave it. I'll leave it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yes. So, fine. Uh, Any the other? Commanders, the commander search for a head coach is a good laugh. Are they still searching? Yeah. Well, because what's his name? Uh, turned him out. Yeah. But he wanted. Yes. He's rumored to want fifteen million a season. <laughs> Fair play. Like I want fifteen million a season as well, pal. <laughs> so, but the the thing that's really interesting is the commanders might actually be the most attractive place to go yes. if you're a young head mm-hmm. coach. Mm-hmm. You've got you don't have Snyder anymore. You've got a new order. You've got a high draft pick you've got um, so you will be taking in your quarterback, he'll be your guy you've got yeah. a lot of uh, space and cat space for free agency and yeah. they're, they're a huge team in terms of fan base, especially in the, the south of the states, they've got a lot of kind of legacy fans there and the, they've it's a division that's attractive to play and you're always going to get prime time television slots playing in the NFC East. So you would think that, that there would be coaches kind of falling over themselves to try and get the commander's gig, but not not so far. But there is a very high-profile candidate still out there that's not... There is. <laughs> there's there's which, also... Which one? Because there's two. Uh, well, there's, there's, one. There's, there's one. There's, there's one high-profile and then I actually think there's the two where one of the coach will come from. High profile is Belichick. And... Yes. Vrabel's not high profile? Oh, I forgot about Vrabel. Yeah, I don't yeah, think... I, mean, I don't think he gets into the greatest coach. He's not... In, no, no, I'm, well, well, I'm not... Brack, he's not in the same bracket as Belichick. I would still say he's fairly high profile. Like, right, compared to levels, Ben Johnson. <laughs> at, the, at the risk of uh, saying this with any confidence and being wrong, I think the next commander's head coach will be either... Bobby Sloick, because that's where he started his career before he decided that the best thing for his career development was having me as a colleague, which has been proven to be correct because his career has gone from strength <laughs> to strength since then. Did he, uh, did he work at Tesco's? Yes, yes, he was. I was in I was in bread and cakes. He was in the bakery. Um, he learned some leadership skills there, how to deal with conflict management. I was, I'm sorry, Tesco differentiated between bread and cakes and a bakery. Now, usually you bake cakes in a bakery. How did Tesco's make their cakes? Ian, are you aware of the concept of a supermarket? No. So within, <laughs> within a supermarket, there are the things that they bake, most of which they part bake. There's a small amount that they bake in-house. And then there's all the packaged shite. 
I was responsible for all the packet and shite. They didn't trust you with the fresh stuff. <laughs> no, no, they didn't. <laughs> You'd eat this. <laughs> Cameron. Cellophane covered sending, food only. This is the bit we're sending in for the award nominations <laughs> next year. Uh, and the other one, to get back on topic, uh, Anthony, Anthony Weaver, the Ravens' assistant head coach. Mm. Uh, apparently had a long interview with them. And I think as a candidate, he's the kind of CEO type, like John Harbaugh type CEO head coach, not an offensive or defensive coordinator. And that would be the kind of uh, outside the box hire that people aren't expecting that I could see. Uh, obviously, since we've spoken, uh, Jim Harbaugh has come back to the NFL. That feels like a very good pickup by the Chargers and depending on which news articles you read might be because Harbaugh was perhaps concerned about some um, disciplinary action coming his way in the NCAA. We'll say no more than that, right? But they can't touch him in the NFL. It's not his problem. But a highly experienced coach, much, much better from the Chargers probably than Staley was. Where's Staley ended up, though? He's got another job somewhere else, is he not? He's interviewing with the Rams to be their defensive coordinator again, I believe. And then... Doesn't want to move house. (laughs) (laughs) And then Kellen Moore's got another job as well, is he not? Yes, the Eagles. Interesting to see... Interesting to see... um, He brings a different offensive style that that he had when he was at um, San Diego and when he was at Dallas. So it'll be interesting to see... If he's forced to run Sirianni's offense, which is very heavily based on spread out shotgun, and Kellen Moore likes to run a lot of stuff under center, but um, I think um, I think it's like how how he coaches Hurts is going to be the the main kind of thing that that comes out of it. I don't think Hurts necessarily regressed, but um, I think he could definitely do with a different style of coaching. Are you happy that Sirianni remains in position? Um. Always difficult to fire a coach, a head coach that won you the Super Bowl, but there was a lot of frustration and blame. I think was placed on him. I think it's the the, the fans think it's his system that isn't working, so they want Moore to come in and bring something different. I think Sirianni's a good coach in terms of his his players respond well to him, um, and also Vic Fangio coming in as defensive coordinator. It's two experienced coaches that are, are that are coming in. Um, so more infused than I, I would have been three or four weeks ago, put it that way. Gordon, you mentioned Mike McDonald might end up in Seattle. Do you think there's any scenario that the Ravens speak to Harbaugh and ask him to move upstairs and keep McDonald in the building? No, for two reasons. One, uh, there isn't a role upstairs for him because the cost is the GM and he's not going anywhere. You've just lost your general, what's his name? Horror, horror bits. Joe, Joe Hortiz. Hortiz, sorry. I thought you were about to tell me I'd lost my audio there, so I got quite scared. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I don't. Harbaugh's not going to leave being head coach to be assistant GM. That I don't just don't think that's logical. Also, okay. like I just think he's a he's a football coach. That's what he's going to want to do. I'm not saying I would be against it because the there is a part of me that's like there is a non-zero chance that McDonald is going to be the next like, really good head coach in the NFL. Like, people kind of view him almost like the McVeigh of defence. Um, and if there was a way to either say to him, we'll make you the highest paid defensive coordinator in the NFL, 
and Harbaugh's given it two more years than it's your job, I think he would probably take that. But the Seattle job's a really good job. It's another stable franchise. They don't get rid of coaches quickly. Like, in my time watching the NFL, I think they hired Holmgren, then it was Carroll. And that's, like, they're the two coaches that I remember from them. But he'll, he'll do a great job if he goes to Seattle. Can you tell us who the coach was before Holmgren, Gordon? Can you guess who it was? I'd be impressive if you can get him. I'm not even, I don't even know who it is. I think I would have to double check. Don't think I can. I think if you told me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I vaguely remember the name, but we Google it while we're doing this. Just I've, really get, I've, get, yes. I've, get, I've got Dennis Erickson in my head. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it is Erickson. I don't even recognize that name. But that's probably not a surprise. I probably would have been saying it wrong anyway. <laughs> so, uh, as they Google in the background, any other news items? Possibly not while they're doing that. Let's plug we, we the have, Super Bowl. We have, oh. we have, sorry, we have Googled. Uh, so, you're absolutely correct. It is Dennis Erickson. However, I am wrong because there was there was a one-year coach between Holmgren and Pete Carroll, and that was Jim Mora. Playoffs. No, the other one, his son. Playoffs. Uh, we'll take this moment to remind you to check out the Super Bowl parties that are taking place across Scotland. Big shout out to Top Golf in Glasgow, who have Glasgow's best and biggest Super Bowl party this year. They have booths available, so you can go and play Top Golf, watch the game in your booth the whole time. Uh, the price includes some food as well. Base for up to six people. If you've not got your Super Bowl sorted yet, Go check them out. Also, shout out to Dropkick Murphys in Edinburgh. That is where the Edinburgh Wolves are having their Super Bowl party. Check them out as well. It's a, a great bar, a great atmosphere. Uh, it will be superb and absolutely packed. So there are you two places. So in Edinburgh, check out Dropkick Murphys. In Glasgow, check out Top Golf. Uh, beyond that, let us know where else you want us to promote in other cities. Well, that is the full-time whistle for this episode of Stramash. Thanks for taking the time to listen. That's the championship. Game's done. We turn our attention now to oh, the Super sorry. Bowl. Can I, oh. can I say something that is slightly Paul-related? Sure. Can I just say that uh, that's Greg Olson's last stint as the lead announcer on Fox, or the lead um, colour commentator on Fox. Brady's taken over. And I actually think it's a shame because I thought Olson has been fantastic really this good. season. He's been really good. Hopefully, yes. hopefully he... he um, picks up a gig somewhere else. Yeah, sure he will. Also, good news for Paul. Uh, Greg Olson thinks that Paul's fourth down take is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that, Greg Olson bombshell. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this and every episode of Shamash. Continue to share your thoughts on social media at Scotland NFL on Twitter. Um, and any other way that you can get to us. We'll be back again very, very soon as the Super Bowl preview begins. We're not going to talk about Swift or how shite Purdy is. We'll talk about other stuff. But until then, bye for now. <laughs>